You know, ultimately, when you get to the book of Revelation, it is the wrath of the Lamb, folks. The wrath of the Lamb. What message comes out in our world, in our society right now, concerning Christmas? You know, folks, really, we lose the joy of this thing if we don't have a sense of the wrath of God. It's in light of what we're going to look at today that His incarnation is so precious and so glorious. It's in light of these very things that the songwriter can say joy to the world. Because I guarantee with what most people think of God today, they think that basically God is out there to serve mankind. That basically He's out there to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy. And we think we deserve it from Him. And then people feel wronged when it doesn't turn out that way. And so... Seen a little baby that supposedly is God and came down and came into a manger and he did this because he so loved us. Well, hey, that's what everybody thought anyways. We expect that. We think we should get it. We think we should deserve it. Folks, that's why there isn't the joy that there ought to be behind it. It's almost seen as an expectation. It's seen as something due to us. But oh, folks, if we really see things for the way they really are, that songwriter's right. You bust out in joy unspeakable and full of glory in light of these things. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read all the way down to 32. Now, it may take us a couple weeks to actually go through this. What, like I say, again, I wanted to go through Romans here not to look at every verse one by one, but to, to deal with this in big sections so that we can kind of see the flow No, Paul has introduced his theme of the book right before this. I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That is the theme of this book. Now, he's going to jump in to the reason for the necessity of the Gospel. He is going to look for 64 verses at the sinful condition, the universal sinful condition of mankind. And here's where he starts. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God or knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now folks, lest you somehow try to divert this away from you, I want you to understand something. As will be clear in the weeks ahead, maybe not so much today, but definitely in the weeks ahead, and as we look further into chapter 2 and chapter 3, 
he's describing universally all men by nature here. Don't, don't think. Don't read into this thing when it talks about setting up these idols and these images that somehow, you know, look, they're in the image of men and in the image of these creatures. But this is, this is talking about people that live off in, in heathendom, you know, out in the, in the islands of Papua New Guinea and those kind of places. This is speaking about you and me and our natural condition. This is us. He just described us. Our idolatry may take different pictures and views and courses, but folks, this is us. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations and those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing them, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty or recompense for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Now, folks, what I want you to understand is this is you and me. This is the guy next to us in line in the supermarket. This is the guy that stands behind the counter at the bank. This, this is them. This is all of us. This is your neighbor. This is your children by nature. This is your mother and father. Yes, this describes them. Full of envy, murder, strife. You drive up and down these streets. That guy walking on the sidewalk is not by nature full of righteousness, full of goodness, full of all the things that resemble God. He's not. You know, just because you see the policeman drive by and you think, well, he's the good guy. You know, we get this idea of good guy, bad guy. You know, the good guys in the police car, the bad guys out there in the street. Don't you believe that? The police officer drives by out there in the car is this. They're full of evil. They're full of covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God. You see the pictures with, with American soldiers fighting Iraqi insurgents or terrorists. Don't think the terrorists are like that and our soldiers aren't. This you heard, heard, you've heard of the atrocities that some of our soldiers have done over there. Why? Because this is their heart. And just because some don't rape, kill, and pillage doesn't mean it isn't in their heart to do it. They've just been restrained from doing it. You know, we get this idea, well, cowboys and Indians, the cowboys are good, the Indians are bad. Well, whoever said that? God's Word right here is the final word on all this, folks. It identifies all men, whether they're black or white, they're brown, they're red, they're yellow. This is them. They are slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And some of you might be sitting here and you're lost today. God has not opened your eyes to understand the Word of God. And you're saying, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true about me. Or I don't believe that's true about all the people I know. Well, you know what? If you say that, what we are about to delve into right now is the very reason why you say that. 
Because you are one of these very people who's described right here who seek to suppress the truth. And that's the very reason God's wrath is pointed at man. Because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Folks, we don't like the truth because the truth is ugly. The truth is good. We're the ugly ones. And we don't like the fact that the truth makes us out to be that way. Well, I have four simple points, folks. First, what is the wrath of God that is being revealed? Second, how is the wrath of God being revealed? Third, why is this wrath of God being revealed? And fourth and finally, where is this wrath of God not being revealed? In other words, is there somewhere you can go to escape from being under it? So first, what is this wrath of God that is being revealed? Now, if you have your Bibles and you were just reading, don't close them. Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump all over in Romans for one, but there are, there's a specific pattern that we want to follow right here in Romans 1. And so I'm going to want you to look at various verses as we go along. The first thing is, and you can look right there at Romans 1.18. What is this wrath of God that is being revealed? And under this first heading, I want to give you six short statements about this wrath of God to describe it to you. First, it's against sin. Do you see that there? Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. Emphasize that. Against. What is God's wrath against? It says, all ungodliness. Did you get that? God doesn't overlook any of it. Not one. You may think that one. And, oh, well, you know, you can look over it. Maybe your parents can look over it. Maybe your, your children can look over it. Or your spouse can look over it. Maybe your employer can look over it. But God doesn't overlook it. It says all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is the nature of God's wrath? What does it look like? What is it? We hear the words, God's wrath. And you know, it tends to sound intimidating, alarming, fearsome. But do we really know what it is? Well, right here, for starters, folks, I think we can say that the wrath of God can be described as this. The fierce hatred that God has for sin and sinners. Always in Scripture, the wrath of God is that character of God that burns against sinners. Not just sin. You know, what's sin? I mean, how, how did, it's not like God's wrath burns against this, this nebulous thing, this abstract thing. It burns against sinners that commit sin. All I did was take wrath, type it into my computer program, and I wanted to see how often when the term wrath shows up, does it show that wrath immediately directed at people? Not at some nebulous unrighteousness detached from us but the very people who are unrighteous. All I had to do was look at like the first six uses. All of them were against people. And I stopped because I realized everywhere wrath in, in Scripture is described that way. It's never against righteousness. It's never against the innocent. It's never random or misplaced. God aims His wrath against all unrighteousness and un, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The second thing I would say about it is it's Fearful. God's wrath is closely associated 
by the Apostle Paul with several other words in Romans. Now, you don't have to look there, but in Romans 2.8, we find wrath and anger or wrath and fury or fury and indignation. It depends on what translation you have. But it could be fury, it could be anger, it could be indignation. Romans 2.8, depending on the translation. In Romans 12.19, Paul specifically speaks about the wrath of God as vengeance. Vengeance. You guys, let these words sink in. I mean, let them sink in. We're not just talking about the wrath of God. We are talking about the fury of the wrath. The King James Bible in Revelation 16 and 19 calls it, calls it the fierceness of the wrath. And it's not just the fierceness of the wrath of a person. It's the fierceness of the wrath of God all who takes vengeance on people. People you know, people I know, some of you are right now under the wrath of God. It burns against you even now. Oh, folks, consider the consequences. This is the most terrifying reality that can confront man. There are many things to scare us. Many things might cause you fear. Dangerous neighborhoods. Murderers or rapists who are out there on the loose. A tornado or lightning that flashes and the thunder that booms. Or war. Many times men in the foxholes are scared to death. You think of the things that cause terror and horror in the minds of men. Nightmares. But folks, all those things are just a little glimpse. They're just the faintest shadow of the ultimate terror. And, and what does man do? Instead of facing this, he seeks to suppress it. He doesn't want to know. Oh, it's so horrible. I don't want to think about it. And yet, in all man's desire to turn from this thing and run from this thing and suppress this thing and hide this thing and not believe this thing. Folks, it's already being revealed and there is a day of wrath that is coming and no matter what you did and no matter what you did in your mind and no matter what you believed and how you tried to not think about it and you tried to part of your life away and you tried to involve yourself with all these things with money and women or men or, or all these things you fill your time with. It's coming like a great freight train down those tracks. It's coming and you are laying in those tracks and you don't have power to move yourself. Oh, folks, we have fear when it comes to, to great storms and earthquakes and all sorts of things, devils. But whether we acknowledge it or not, there's a God Almighty out there. Folks, He is a holy terror to every single man, woman, and child who is outside of Christ. Everyone. He is a holy terror whether you realize that or not. To every single person 
who does not know God and does not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ is fearful. Wrath is the way a holy God does respond and must respond to the wickedness of man. The wrath of God is absolutely fearful, folks. The third thing is it's calculated. God's wrath is very calculated. He's not like us where He just loses His temper. He just busts out in some display of anger. It's not like that. God is measured. He's controlled. He's deliberate. He's rational. He's purposed with His wrath. Listen to this, Romans 2.5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. And in the next very verse, He says, He will render to each one according to His work. Think of these two words. Storing and according. He's storing. He's actually putting away wrath in a place for you. You are filling the very measure of your sins. He is partitioning, He is proportioning a very exact measured amount of wrath for you. You are storing it up and it will be meted out to you according to every single wicked deed you ever did. All unrighteousness and all ungodliness, not just of men generically, but of you. His wrath, He doesn't forget. And He doesn't just burst out like we do and lose His temper. It's very calculated, folks. The next thing I would say, the fourth thing is, it's righteous. Again, Romans 2.5 says, but because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, folks, listen to me. When you go into the Word of God, God's wrath is so severe. Ultimately, it's eternal. It's so severe. It's so horrific. It's so great. We're really faced with this, folks. Generally, mankind in his natural condition, he looks at that and he says, God, if that is true, what we read in the Bible, God's overreacting. And so what basically man does, he says, it's not true. It's not true. These people wrote these scare tactics in the Word of God and it's just not true because it's so incredible. It's so great. It's so fearful. God must be overly excessive if that's the case. Men just cannot comprehend God reacting so massively to our little sins and imperfections. The problem is not that God is excessive or extreme, or disproportionate. The problem lies in my assessment and your assessment of our sin. That's where the problem is. The problem isn't with God. The problem isn't God overreacting. The problem is we underestimate the massive sinfulness of our sin. We underestimate the wickedness of one sin. That's where the problem is. We underestimate how monstrous our sin is. In fact, folks, 
Instead of seeing God as this overreacting God, we need to sit back and see ourselves as underestimating, foolish, sin-belittling people. That's really the issue. It should make us think that our sin is far, far more heinous than we ever imagined it to be. And you guys, our sin ultimately is not measured. And this is our problem. We measure our sin by how it affects other people. But that is not the measure of your sin, ultimately. The measure of the heinousness and the massive wickedness of our sin is to weigh out the God against whom we sin. When you think about the honor and the glory and the dignity and the majesty and the beauty of God and His worth, and you compare your sin against Him. Because all sin, even if you commit it against people, it's ultimately against Him. Why? It's His law. Every sin you commit is a transgression of His law. Not of men's, predominantly. You sin against Him. And what ultimately bears out on the degree, the intensity, the heinousness of our sin is to behold that God against whom we sin, folks. It's righteous. It is absolutely righteous and reasonable that God should do this. There's a righteous judge. It's not unrighteousness with God. And I would say this next. It's distressing. In Romans 2, 8 and 9, it says, For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress. Notice this with me. Whenever you have wrath and fury of God, you have tribulation and distress on man's part. Do you know why the wrath of God is so to be escaped? Because, folks, when God's wrath breaks out, people suffer great tribulation under that wrath. The reason that I would plead to you to flee from the wrath to come, the wrath that is already being revealed, is for your own good, for your own sake. Don't harden your hearts against what I'm saying. Because I am talking to you today about a reality. Every single person upon the face of this earth will suffer the wrath of God or find one to suffer in their place. Think on that. Every sin will be paid for. Every sin does bring forth a measure of God's wrath. Every sin you have committed, all ungodliness and unrighteousness, will suffer wrath. Either you will bear it or somebody will bear it in your place. Be sure of that. You have to say God is a liar. And the Bible in our hands are not true for it to be any other way. And I'll bank on this, folks. This word you can stand on. And 
Let every man be a liar, folks. God never will lie. If He has said it, we ought to tremble. We ought to fear greatly, folks. It's distressing. Think of the words that are associated with it. Punishment, destruction, pain, agony, suffering, weeping, gnashing of teeth. These are words connected with wrath. People feel God's wrath. It reveals itself through human experience. Wrath produces grief and sorrow and anguish within us. Folks, think about it. You love joy. You love peace. You love happiness. You love pleasure. And you know what the wrath of God does? The wrath of God aims itself at destroying your joy, your happiness, your pleasure. That's what it does. The next thing is, it's desired. Think, think with me here, folks. Romans 9.22 God desiring to show His wrath and to make his, known His power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Not many want to believe this in our day. But do you know God desires to show His wrath? Do you know why? You know what people come back with? But I thought God was loving. I thought God was good. He is. He's both of those things. Immensely so. Don't you ever think for a moment that because God pours out wrath on human beings that He is not good or that He is not loving. You remember this. God's love, God's goodness is always held consistent with God's justice and God's hatred for sin. The very fact that God has provided a way that that wrath can be diverted away from you shows that He's loving. Folks, that is the Gospel. That's the good news that we come here and share today. But God desires to show wrath. Why? To make His power known. Folks, one thing this does to us when you come to the book of Romans is it shows us as God sits there in heaven, the greatest preoccupation in His mind is not mankind. We are so man-centered. But I'll tell you this, God is primarily God-centered. His glory, His honor, His dignity, His beauty is primary in His mind. He actually has created men and women and formed them from the lump of clay of mankind to be vessels of wrath upon which He will pour His wrath. And He does it distinctly to bring glory and honor to Himself to show forth His power, to show forth His righteousness, to show forth His hatred of sin. Oh, folks, He is glorious in His wrath. It's fearful, yes, but it's never ugly. It's never unrighteous. It's never something that we should look at and and shy away from and say, well, that's just a blot and a blemish on God's character. It's not. It's a beauty on God's character. Because it shows us how righteous He is, how holy He is, how much He hates 
every sin, everything that defiles, everything that twists and distorts. Most people have no problem in this world with heaven and man's happiness. But God's wrath ripped through our man-centered image of God. God's wrath tells us there is an awesome, holy God in whose eyes we are dreadfully guilty. This doctrine informs us that sin is so serious, so damnable in God's eyes. He is so determined, so desirous to openly unleash His power by the open show of His wrath. People don't want to hear about a God of wrath. They really don't. Because it tells them that sin is more serious and more terrible than they ever wanted to imagine. Our view of God is so man-centered. I would just say this, folks. I can see already, don't worry, folks, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go the full length in my message today. I'm realizing I'm already running out of time. But I always want you to think, how is the wrath of God revealed? And I'll go through very quickly. You go to the book of Romans. How is it being... Folks, the wrath of God is revealed. Yes, there's a coming day of wrath. You can go into Romans 2. You can go into Romans 5. You can go in various places. You can see there's a day of wrath coming. But how is it being revealed? Revealed there... Folks... That's present. That's a continuous action. It's happening now. You say, I don't see it. No, you do. You do if you have eyes to see it. How? One thing is, folks, the wages of sin is death. Now, you think about this. The wage of sin. It's not sin that pays the wage, folks. It's God that pays the wage. What's the wage? Death. Have you ever looked around you? I just went to a funeral this week. Have you ever looked around you? We are surrounded by death. We're approaching 3,000 deaths over in Iraq. We hear about death from storms. Death in our cities. Death. You get on the internet. You get in the newspaper. You get in the magazines. You get on the news. There's death everywhere. Wow, this is not natural. This is not how God originally created, created the order of this universe. Death is not something He interwove into the very fabric of creation in the beginning. It's not. This is not normal. We normalize it, but it's not. It's God's wrath, folks. And it's not just the wages of my sin and your sin. It points to a federal headship of Adam. Because when you go to Romans 5, what do you find there? Because of the disobedience of one, you know what's happened? Death has come upon all men. Death. Because one man fell into one sin. You listen to me, folks. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That is wrath displayed. Every time... You hear of children being aborted every time you hear of people dying. We say it's natural causes. Folks, that's not the way God created things. It isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's abnormal. It is a demonstration of God's response to sin. How else? Well, you go to Romans 8. 
You know what you find in Romans 8? You find some verses that portray things like this. Paul says that our suffering, it's a small thing compared to that eternal weight of glory you know, that's coming. It's a small thing in light of the future. But he goes on to talk about how the universe around us, all the creation has been subjected to futility, to vanity. It is in bondage to decay. And there is groaning. Now, in the context there, he's speaking about the hope that is had when the sons of God are revealed and that the creation around us that groans is going to be released from this groaning, released from this bondage to decay, released from the futility. But don't miss what's being said there. There is suffering. There is futility. Because of Him who subjected it to futility. Why? You know what we have, folks? We have suffering. We have decay. We have futility. And we have groaning. Again, demonstrations of God's wrath directed against man's sin. When you look around and you see all the futility in life, what do I mean by that? Well, you know the suffering. Death. We already talked about that. You lose loved ones. But futility. We seek to pour ourselves into children. To see them make something of their lives and we get to the place where some folks, sometimes it's futility. And this is part of the curse, folks. Some of those children we prayed for, they won't come to the Lord as much as we want them to. And I'm not saying this to, to cast hopelessness because in these very texts, there is a hope. But I'm just saying, there is futility. People, people strive to build up their empires. And then a hurricane Rita or hurricane whatever comes, blows in and wipes that whole thing out. Here we are. We try to put ourselves into a meeting place over there and then one night a fire comes and it's singed. There is futility in this world. There is suffering. You know, you guys have heard about it. How many men or women have you heard about? Boy, they got the 401k. They got the IRA. They got all this. They got it all figured out. They're putting it all here. And one week after they retire, they're dead. Futility. Vanity. Vanity. It is. What's in this world is vanity. What? You store up your treasure here. And what does Christ say? You store it up here. The thief comes along. Here. We buy a house over there. Got beautiful antique. You know, when we first moved in there, beautiful antique chandeliers, beautiful antique doors, beautiful antique doorknobs, beautiful antique fireplace with a nice grating in front of it. Futility, folks. The thieves come in and steal it. I mean, we've got people running out the back door over there with our doors. It's futility. This is a demonstration of the wrath of God. You've got it in your life. And then, folks, back to Romans 1... You know how he says right there it's being revealed? Come on, brother. God's wrath is being revealed this way. As men and women suppress the truth, God gives men over. Just look, you got if you have your Bibles open there, look at Romans one twenty four. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Romans one twenty six. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Romans one twenty eight. God gave them up to a debased mind. 
hey, don't go wrong here. You know what happens a lot of times? We look around us and we say, we got killings in the schools. I mean, of all things, a guy walks into an Amish school and guns down, put, I mean, execution style right down the row. What is coming? Certainly God's wrath is going to come on our... we got homosexuals running their agenda all over the place. The schools are falling apart. We've got politicians who are corrupt. They're deceivers. You look around us and you see basically a moral decadence that is on the increase. We've seen it. I'm only 41 years old. But I can tell you, in my lifetime, I've seen things go down. Right? So, Papa, you've probably seen it far more than I have. When we think about this, why is it in a decline? Sometimes we get this idea, oh, there's God over there in the corner just wringing His hands. Oh, I wish I could do something to keep the United States of America from going down this slide into greater and greater depravity. You guys, what Romans 1 tells us is this is not an indication of an impotent God who sits on the sidelines and can't do anything. This is the indication of a God who is revealing His wrath. He is giving us over to these very things. Homosexuality in the land is not just simply something that we look at and say, oh, God's wrath is surely coming. Homosexuality in the land is proof positive God is already pouring out His wrath upon us. That is an indication of the wrath. You see, folks, the homosexuality isn't ultimately what brings the wrath. It's suppressing the truth. We know what can be known about God. Follow the sequence, folks. You have a God. He is eternally powerful. But it's an invisible attribute. We can't see it because we can't see God. Yes, He's got this this divinity. He's got this eternal power. But I can't see it with these eyes. So what does God do? He breaks in. He creates a world, a universe, where He puts Himself, His eternal power on display. But you have men in all their unrighteousness and in all their depravity, they seek to suppress the truth. Now the thing is, God has shown them. It says that there. We read that. They see it. They perceive it in the things that have been made. You know what? People look at a baby who comes forth from the joining of a man and a woman. And they say, evolution. They look at a worm that becomes a butterfly. They say, evolution. God says He has so clearly shown His might and His majesty in the things that have been made that are around us. You see a tree. It actually loses its leaves and they grow back again the next year. You see birds who can fly south from Alaska across the Pacific and actually find the Hawaiian Islands. People look at these things and they say, well, it evolved. And God looks at man and says, I have so put myself on display in this creation that you are without excuse when you suppress this truth. You are without excuse. And that is what man has done. God is the greatest reality in all of the universe. He is... He is. 
I am that I am. The Scriptures never prove the existence of God. They assume them. And they say, all you have to do is look at creation and you can see His fingerprints all over it. So pronounced. So vivid. That not a single man, woman, or child on the face of this earth is with excuse. Not one. And yet man see all of that. And you know what Scripture says? Man loves his unrighteousness. He loves his wickedness. He loves his evil deeds. And so he turns his back on the light. The light of creation. He suppresses it. He subdues it. He ignores it. He doesn't want to believe it. Why? Because he loves his deeds. And I'll tell you this, folks. You come to grips with all of this out here was made by a creator. You just came to grips with he created you. And there is accountability there. You must answer to this God. People don't want to answer to this God. So where do we come to? We come to evolution. In a world where God is the greatest, most magnificent reality upon the face of the earth and all of the universe, yet you drive up and down our streets. What do the billboards have? Anything about God? What do the magazines have? What do the news have? What do you hear when you go into the places? People don't want God in their radio. They don't want God in their music. They don't want God in their papers. They don't want God in their lives. Get rid of Him. Out of here. I don't want it. Why? Because as soon as you acknowledge there's a God with eternal power who is able to create all things, you just realize you are going to have to account to Him one day. And they don't want to account because they love their evil deeds they don't want to turn from them. They don't want to sit under a God who holds them accountable for that wickedness. And so they stifle that truth and they turn from it. And folks, therefore the wrath of God is being revealed against the unrighteousness, the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress that truth. This is so practical as we look at our world. And it just brings me to my last point. Is there a place where the wrath of God is not? Because you know what the problem is? Here I am in the world. I am ungodly by nature. I am unrighteous. I've lied, folks. I'm a liar by scriptural definition. All you have to do is look at a woman to lust after them. You've committed fornication already in your heart, Christ said. I've done that. All you got to do is hate your brother. And you're guilty of murder in here. I've done that. I've stolen from the glory of God. I've built up idols. I have coveted other men's things. I have dishonored my parents. I've broken the Sabbath. Folks, I have smashed the laws of God to pieces. I am unrighteous. I am ungodly. And you know what I find? It doesn't matter how fast I can run or how far I can run. Those crosshairs of God's wrath are on me the whole time. I can jump over here. I can jump over there. I can jump. I can run over down the street as fast as I can. But I find it's always there. I'm always in the crosshairs. I'm always there. What can I do? This is all mankind all around us, all through the city. Men are born naturally with the crosshairs of God's wrath right on them, storing up, storing up a measure of wrath. And it's going to be revealed in this life, and all the more so when they pass out. It's going to come upon them flood after flood. There is going to be pain and suffering, and it's eternal. It's eternal. It's never-ending. And I can't run far enough or fast enough to get away from it. And you know why I can't? Because no matter how far I run, 
No matter how far I go, no matter how fast I do it, I'm still unrighteous and I'm still ungodly. My problem is I can't get away from me. That's right. Come on now. But you see, folks, what we dealt with last week and the week before, yes, the wrath of God has been revealed. But when you go right before this, it says the righteousness of God has been revealed. Yes, God reveals His wrath. And rightfully so. But thank God, here's where His love is. Here's where His mercy is. Here's where His compassion is. He, along with revealing His wrath, He has revealed the righteousness of God. Which Romans 3.22 says, it's the righteousness of God which is through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. It's for the sinner. You see, folks, the only hope you have of escaping the wrath of God is not some reworking of your life, not some moral improvement program. The only hope you have is to find a place where all your sins, every last one of them, because remember, His wrath is revealed against all ungodliness. You have to get rid of all of it. And in this place, there has to be a righteousness. That's the only hope you have for escaping this. And yet, the righteousness of God is revealed. Oh, folks. That's the hope. That's the Gospel. That's why when you sing about joy to the world, there is real joy to be had. If you will once recognize you are under this wrath and all of a sudden God opens your eyes to behold, there is a righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ Himself, who knew no sin, became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. He earned it. He went to the cross for it, folks. That's where your hope is. That's where my hope is. That's what makes Christmas a time. If you want to think about the Incarnation, folks, He came into this world. Why? With an agenda before Him to go to that cross. He didn't come here just to be a little babe in that manger. He came here to grow up, live a life where He committed no sin. And He earned an obedience and a righteousness that now God can look to me and say, I'm going to treat you on the basis of Jesus Christ, not on the basis of your unrighteousness and your ungodliness. The righteousness of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And God is out there imputing that to sinners. He justifies the ungodly. That is our hope. That is our only hope. I would tell you today if there were many ways. But there aren't many ways. There is only one righteousness of God that's revealed. It comes only through one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and only by faith in Him. There is no other. Not a single one. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. But the righteousness of God is revealed also. Father, I pray, open our heart, open the minds. Lord, there is such glorious. Lord, we spoke about, we sang of a hiding place. That is the only hiding place. That is the only place where the wrath of God can't reach us. Lord, I know many people, they think that if they just ignore it, or they think that they have some hope of somehow escaping this in the end. But Lord, they seek 
They shelter not in the hiding place of Jesus Christ. They seek it in all different places. They seek it in their own goodness. They seek it in fixing up their lives. But Lord, I pray, open hearts. Open the hearts of our children. Open the hearts of our visitors. Open the hearts of those that sit here lost, Lord, to realize there's only one place of escape from this fearful and righteous judgment of God.